You're listening to Seahawks Stories, taking you behind the scenes with your favorite current and former Seahawks. Play fake, drops back, going to throw it deep. Got a man. It's Metcalf. He's out there. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Turbin in the backfield with Wilson, who goes out of the shotgun. Look out, here comes the blitz. Russell steps up. Now he's got to scramble. Now he dumps it. Turbin, midfield, 45-40, down the near sideline, 30. 25, puts his head down. What a run by Turbin. He's all the way down to the Chargers' 21-yard line, a 32-yard pickup. Now, here's your host, Super Bowl 48 champion, Robert Turbin. What's up, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Robert Turbin, a.k.a. Turbo, here for the first episode of the 2022 season of Seahawks Stories. We got a special guest, one of the most special people in the whole state of Washington, okay? The whole state. Boy, been around. I'm excited to introduce him. But first, I think we're going to play a highlight for him. For Todd Collins and the Redskins at their own 46-yard line, he's going to go out of the shotgun. Porter's beside him in the backfield. Four receivers. Collins looks deep. He throws down the near side. It's overthrown. It's intercepted by Trufant. Trufant's got it at the 30, 35, 40, 45 midfield. Down the sidelines. He is going to go. 10-5. Touchdown, Seahawks. Marcus Trufant. The one and only True. You heard the name. What's going on, big dog? Turbo, Turbo, my guy. What's good, man? What's oh, good? Oh, man. I'm living the dream. I'm feeling good now. I'll get to be in studio with yes, the sir. man, the myth, <laughs> the legend, Marcus Trufant, man. Welcome to the show. It's a it's a real blessing and an honor to have you on, y'all. True was one of the many mentors that I had coming in as a rookie. Sold me his car. <laughs> When I was still trying to ride hey, around, I gave you a good price. Gave you a good price, Turbo. I didn't do you, do hey, you? He, right? Hey, he hooked me up real nice, y'all. I ain't gonna lie. You know, sold me the range, had the chrome rims Ooh, on it. Woo. Then they start peeling. See, you didn't tell me about the, how hey. the chrome rim with the wheels start peeling after a while. I ain't know. Hey, man, I can't. Um, you can lead a horse to water, right? <laughs> but. You had to learn your own game, man. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? The yeah. chrome was clean, though. The, the, it was clean. It was clean. Wild day was clean, but in due time, <laughs> everything <laughs> tarnishes, right? Man, man, it's a it's a it's an honor to have you, true. Man, the highlight. One of your many interceptions, 21 over the course of your career. Do you remember your first one? Uh, I do remember one of my first interceptions. I wasn't so much the Flashy guy, the guy that's gonna talk trash or do a dance, do the gritty. You weren't, you weren't, doing, the, a, you yeah, weren't doing a high I, step like prime time do, back in the day. I wasn't doing it like that. It was a different time for me, and I was more about just going about my business. But I got an interception, didn't get many return yards, kind of got smacked a little bit. Okay. Man. <laughs> and my ear pads came out of my helmet, and <laughs> who smacked you? I can't remember. It was against Chicago, though. I think it was a running back, matter of fact. Okay. You know how y'all try to be right and try to you be know, extra we can, aggressive. We can do everything. But, yeah, <laughs> smacked around a little bit, but I had to play it off because I wanted to celebrate with my teammates. It right. was one of my first ones. I was a young pup, man. Still had the baby face. I'm big beard now, but back yeah. then I had the baby face. I was young, true, but lots of great memories. Man, you talk about being young, true at the time. I alluded to you being one of my mentors as a teammate when I first came in as a rookie, who was that for you when you came in as a young ball player? Well, yeah, man, there was 
there was a lot of veterans on the team. I came to the team. Um, if you had guys like Matt Strong, and you had Walter Jones, um, you had guys like uh, defensive backs Reggie Tongue. You had Sean Springs, and you had Willie Williams. So I was the youngest guy in the room. And um, that year, it was me and Ken Hamlin drafted first and second round. So they had big expectations for us, and the room was very welcoming. So, you know, guys like Reggie Tongue, guys like Matt Strong, old school cats, cats that was married with children and had been in the league for a long time. It was a just a change, right? And you come from college and you meet these guys in this business. And I was just there, man, I'm, I'm still smiling pretty much cheek to cheek. I just got drafted and it's all new. I get to do it at the crib though. I get to do it at home. So that is great. On draft day, I had my bags packed. I thought I was going to have to fly across the country, do press conferences and all that kind of stuff. But instead, I get a – and at that time, there was no Uber, so I had a little car that was waiting for okay. me. I don't remember what type of car it was. It wasn't flashy or yeah. nothing like that. <laughs> and it, Wasn't a Prius. It wasn't a Prius, <laughs> but me, they brought me up to Kirkland, man, and did the press conferences and stuff. But meeting all those guys, man, and getting with those older vets was very um, – Big for me just to learn how to be a pro. Yeah, so they was all cool with you. Yes. Because, you know, sometimes, especially when you're a first-round pick, you come into the league, the vets ain't always nice. Because they know that the way the contracts are set up, uh. most of the time <laughs> these first-rounders got to play, right, because yeah. there's a lot of cast that's laid out. So Springs was the man, right? Mm-hmm. Sean Springs was the man. Um, second pick, I believe, from the – Ohio State, I still talk to Springs to this day, okay. man. Springs is a good friend of mine. He, he's uh, that guy. I mean, he's doing a lot of business stuff now. I mean, he's doing a lot of stuff with the NFL. But just to be able to talk to him, man, and hear his stories and to see how he practiced and how a practice was pretty much a game, man. It was DBs out there that was pretty much fighting during one-on-ones with the mm. receivers. So mm-hmm. I was like, damn. If this is the league, bro. Yeah. It's going down, and I got to come out here, and I got to show up, man. And that's kind of how I learn, man. I'm going to watch, man. I'm going to sit back and kind of watch and kind of yeah. play kind of like I don't know what's going on, but I'm watching every single thing that's going on, and that's what I did. And just those one-on-ones, I remember the practices, man. It was Sean Springs against um, Alex Bannister. Okay. Special teams stand out, captain on special teams, but he also played wide receiver. So yep. Springs gets up to the line. Heavy jam. I'm talking about two-hand jam. Don't let my man off the line of scrimmage and pretty much slams him on the ground, man, and they kind of go at it and they got to blow whistles and do everything. Ooh. I'm looking at Brown like, <laughs> man, it's really going down. But, yeah, definitely a good look. I was ready after that, though. I knew every day after that I had to come with it. Who was your, who was your first fight against? Uh, you had one? Not, not – so many fights, because I didn't talk, right? Yeah, you like, was cool. Yeah, so if I did embarrass you or if I did something, it was just like, okay, a true got me on this one. I wasn't trying to show people up. I wouldn't celebrate um, at practice. But in the games, everything was fair game. I was never one of those DBs that um, that is a running play to the other side, and I'm just going to lock up with the receiver, yeah. and we're going to play nice. I yeah. was trying to come and get you, because I know you're trying to come get me, right? Right, right, right. So right. if you turn your head and you're not paying attention, bow, bow, <laughs> just like that. Man, you mentioned earlier you had your bags packed in preparation to go across country on draft day. 
Was there a team in particular you were anticipating was going to pick you up before the Seattle eventually decided to get you? There was some conversation about the Saints, I believe. Um, my dad is from New Orleans, so okay. my family down there was pretty excited about that. And to take it a step further, the that year, the I believe it might have it, it, had to be like the eighth or the ninth pick was the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. They skipped their pick, right? So teams just start picking. So what that mean? They skip. I, just... I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what type of strategy that is, but they skipped their pick. So they um, it just like to, uh, they could have been nine. So it went to ten, and then went to eleven is where I was. So the uh-huh. Seahawks was like, all right, he's still there. But let's grab him. I don't know if I was on a plan or what, but. Teams just started picking one after another quick. And then the Vikings, they must have came back around 12 or 13. I don't know what type of strategy that was. I haven't right. heard of anybody doing that since. or But that was a crazy day of the draft. So it must have been written that, okay, the Vikings are going to skip their pick and then all these crazy things are going to happen. Then I'm um get drafted by the hometown team and be uh-huh. able to play at the crib, man. So, yeah, bags was packed. I had the big time um, local <laughs> draft party. Okay, going on down in Tacoma at Jillian's. Okay, Jillian's downtown, and we used to party there all the time, like on the weekend and stuff. That too. was so the I had, spot. Yeah, man, I had my moms, my aunties, all the people I went to church with, all my friends, and everybody. We packed in there, man. They gave the pick that I was here at the house, man, and it was a good look. So yeah, the, the bass was packed, but and man, uh. God had a plan, man, and to do it right here at the house was perfect. Yeah, what did that mean to you, man? So you getting ready. You ready to go to New Orleans. Got family down there, so it was cool. But you get to stay at the crib again. High school, college, Washington State, right? Go Cougs. Go Cougs. And now you get to be at the crib again to represent the hometown, man. What did that mean to you over the course of your career? Because, you, I mean, you played 11 seasons here. What did that mean to you? meant a lot, man. It meant a lot. That was... Big and just me and my family, the way I was raised, the way my parents raised me, was to be able to give back, man. So early on in my career, I started my foundation. I started the Trufant Family Foundation. And starting the foundation, and you know, you just jump into things. I just knew I wanted to give back, man. I got my start at the Boys and Girls Club. I wanted to help with that. I wanted to help youth. I wanted to be around education. I wanted to help in different type of diseases. You know, you talk about breast cancer and sickle cell and autism and all these different things. And, you know, I know a lot of people out here. My parents know a lot of people. They grew up with a lot of people. So to have that be like our family's, a piece of our legacy, right, that the true fonts stayed home and they gave back, it meant a lot to be in the limelight. And I still get a lot of love and support, not just for what I did on the field, but for what I did in the community, but, man. But, but was it hard to stay home, though, at the same time? Like, some, you know, some guys go to the league. It's, it, it's, almost, it's almost better, you know, for their right. overall life to right. be away from home. You know, so was there instances where it was difficult for you to be so close and know so many people here at the house? Sometimes, man, that ticket budget could get a little heavy, right? <laughs> Everybody wants a ticket, and they think that we get free tickets. You know it don't work like that, uh-huh. but – Overall, for me, it was more good. Of course, there's pressure, and everybody knows. Everybody wants your jersey. Everybody want to call you. Everybody wants to get 
close to you, but I was lucky that I had those gatekeepers, and that was my parents, right? Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to get close to me, if you wanted to be a part of this thing and um, pretty much be able to celebrate with us, man, and come to a suite, man, and do all um, to do all these different things, you had to go through my parents. So that helped out so much, even with the financial part of it. People want me to invest in things. People want to borrow money, and they want me to donate and do all these different things. My mom and my dad, they made it really easy for me to just focus on football because they took they took the load of all that. So I was blessed with that because I know everybody doesn't get that. So um, it just like you said, Turbo, it makes it hard to play at home because you got so many distractions. And to be honest, you know, I, I was able to manage um, – to be able to manage to organize chaos. I was a young player, just like any other young player, right? I would go in the city, man. I would hang out. I was single at the time. I know my wife ain't going to listen to this, so I could be honest, right, Turbo? (laughs) And we would be out, man, and hang out and do things. And the city was different because, you know, the Sonics was here Mm. and the Seahawks was here, the Mariners was here. So the city was just a, a little bit different. The downtown, and this is me talking personally, I thought it was... Just crazy. Because being from Tacoma, I really didn't know Seattle like that. I was okay. really like a Tacoma dude, like south, right? I never came pretty much this far. I would come as far as the South Center Mall, but I didn't even really know where to go downtown. It was people like uh, Ken Hamlin, people like Seneca Wallace that I came in with, and they were like, true, okay, you got to show us where to go out here. And I'll be like, man, I'm – I ain't got, I ain't got Just it. as lost as you guys. I don't know where I'm going, man. I'm going the wrong way on these one-way streets downtown. I really don't even know it like that. So I had to uh, learn and kind of navigate it kind of like I was from somewhere else just because the Tacoma to Seattle was a thing, right? I really didn't come up this way. Man, let's talk about – you talk about, uh, you know, Ken Hamlin, Seneca Wallace, guys that came in. Just talk about this locker room for a couple minutes, man, because – I mean, Seattle, during your era, has some great players come through. You know, I mean, I, I want to sing a lot of Jerry. I, it probably wasn't your era. But, <laughs> you know, I was a 49 I do got some gray hairs, Turbo. Yeah. <laughs> I got the fresh Beijing in right now, though, so yeah. you really can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I feel you. Who was one of the tougher receivers, man, that you used to go up against and battle with in practice? Right. A lot of great receivers came through here, man. You talk about Jerry Rice, and that was more – You played – I with played Jerry? With, Jerry? with Jerry his last year. Right, he's 42. I believe in the NFL, I think, oh, right? Okay, yep. yeah. Yeah, okay. so um, <laughs> Jerry was there, pants pulled up high in practice. <laughs> Jerry wearing the jean outfits during the nightlife. Okay. Jerry was still the GOAT, man, was funny. It just to be so young and be like, man, I'm out here at practice with Jerry Rice. I'm about to dog Jerry. But it wasn't like that, man. <laughs> Jerry was old, was still cool, man. He still had the routes and was out here doing it, man. And that just showed me that that as you age, you got to get crafty, man. You got to figure this thing out. But going back to the other receivers, man, play with, uh, I played with Sidney Rice, played against the people like Doug Baldwin and Golden Tate, man, all those big-time names that, that we know of now, thinking of uh, guys like Daryl Jackson, Corn Robinson, uh, DJ Hackett, guys during that time that didn't really have the biggest names, but they showed up, man. To make it to that first Super Bowl in the franchise's history, 
Um, I know a lot of people don't forget about that game, but it gets overshadowed a little bit just because, all, um, of course, all the current success. But that year, so many people was hurt, man, and so many people was down that those guys that I named, those great receivers, they had to step up, man, and really make it happen. And we really shocked a lot of people because of that next man up thing, that was a real thing. Does it hurt still to this day? Y'all couldn't get it done in the Super Bowl and – how does it feel knowing that some years later, eventually the franchise was able to get one and you were part of the franchise, but just not on the field? Does it, does it make you feel a certain way? Good question, Turbo. It's deep. That's a deep one. <laughs> That's a deep one. That's but a deep one. For me, during the time and even now, it just makes it that much more um, that you cherish it, right? Not that I feel a way about it, but during that time, I was, um, I believe, in my third or fourth year that I was like, okay, every year it should be like this, right? If we stay healthy and we go out and ball, man, our team is good. So we should be right back. And it doesn't work like that, but that's how you think as a young player. So as I went on in my years, you know, the things start to happen. As you get injuries and you start missing time and things just don't work out, man, and they don't work out the same. So you got to cherish those experiences. You got to go as hard as you can, of course. But the franchise, the way things go, is you got to ride that wave, man, and you never know. So you got to make the most of all those opportunities and just be straight up with everything, man, and try not to try not to look ahead, try not to overlook things, but really just be in the moment. Well, we talked about you playing with some great players and battling some of the get, uh, you know, against some of the best receivers to ever come through Seattle. You also played for some great coaches as well. Mm-hmm. Mike Holmgren, one of the great coaches. I th- he's in the Ring of Honor yeah. here in Seattle now, and you were there for the beginning stages of of Coach Carolyn. I know you you you've talked about this a little bit of, and, and and have alluded to it, but just talk about that experience playing for Coach Holmgren and plan for Coach, uh, Coach Carroll in his early years. Right, yeah. So Coach Holmgren was more uh, kind of like your dad coach, right? Uh, uh, a big dude, right? I seen him like he could get pissed off and he would stand up over dudes, right? Kind of like, like he was going to do something, as you knew he wasn't, but he kind of had that, kind of had that energy that I'm your dad and I'm going to tell you how it's going to go and this is how it's going to be, right? Yeah. And – he did it with tough love, though, because Coach Holmgren loved his players. Was a player's coach, but a different type of player's coach. Man, a tough player's coach, but he loved his guys, man. If you was one of his guys, he would really um, would really have your back. And he maybe – he called me into his office once, but he likes to say that he never yelled at me, right? <laughs> okay. He he called me into his office one time. I was like, yeah, true. You're you're doing pretty good, right? But um, I need more from you. I know you think that you're doing okay, that you're out here making some plays as a young man, but I need a little bit more. And I took it to heart, right? Kind of like you would if your parent were talking to you, that 100%. you want to show up for them, you want to make them proud, and you want to do right by them. So I took that, man, and I went to work and – I believe I might have had an interception or two the next game. And then Cole Coleman uh, just gave me that look during the game. was like, yep, see, I told you. But now with uh, Pete, and can I throw in the, 
to throw in the Jim Mora time course, in between, of too? Of course, of course. I mean, I was going <laughs> to leave it out that there because it wasn't the best, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But, but, but with that, though, um, on the tail end of Coach Holmgren, Jim Mora was a defensive back coach, right? So working with him and him being a younger coach, we would go train with him, man, and go hiking and go running and doing all this stuff with him. Okay. So he kind of built that player-coach bond. But he was uh, there during one of my best years, man. He um, Those conversations, doing stuff off the field, it just – I think it, it kind of released something, right? And I was able to just play free. I really wasn't a chance taker as a player, um, technique guy. I was really by the book, but – Talking to Jim Mora, it kind of just let me let my hair down, right? I was able to try to gamble a little bit, take some chances, and do some stuff. And I ended up getting um, seven, eight picks that year, right? And I went to the Pro Bowl, and that was my best year. And it was right on time because that was contract year, right? Hey, so there it is. that worked out. And then you transition into uh, Pete. Pete's energy was exactly what this team needed, exactly what this community needed, especially coming off the Jim Mora. Uh, year, just a chill kind of Hollywood surfer type of feel. That's right. the energy peace gives, right? Um, you got the college and a lot of guys that were here, they thought it was rah, rah, right? Because right. the team was still had a lot of older guys on the team, but they came in a cleaned house, right? Not because we didn't have good players. I think it was just to kind of get a fresh start, man, and get some fresh energy. And we talked about those contracts and how you locked in and stuff. I was one of those guys that was locked in. I had uh-huh. my contract a year right. or two before. So that there was like, okay, a first rounder and stuff like that. We kind of had to go with true. But things worked out, man. I really enjoyed my time with Pete, with John, playing on those teams um, and seeing the growth of the Legion of Boom, man, and seeing uh, Cam Chancellor, seeing – Earl Thomas and those guys play on special teams first mm-hmm. and then it grow into what they grew into. It was crazy to watch, man. Even with Sherman, even you, right? Just seeing you guys as young cats and then you guys come in and you do your thing, man. It's pretty um, – pretty. it just makes you appreciate your time in the league. Yeah. What do you think goes into a successful head coach, right? Because you had three different ones here in Seattle. And, you know, Mike Homerin, successful. You guys went to a Super Bowl, right? Jim Mora, great position coach, it sounded like, right? Was Mm -hmm. great connecting with the players. uh, Helped you to get your best year. And, you know, what do you think goes into the success of, you know, having a head man and then the team being able to, you know, follow that direction to become successful? I know it's not for everybody, but I – I'm a firm believer in positivity, right? And Pete is a positive dude all the way around. Not to say that he's not realistic or he doesn't hold his uh, players or his staff accountable, but the positivity and how he approaches life I think is a big thing, man. And when you can get everybody to buy in – and when I say everybody, I mean, I mean everybody. Um, as you know, we're up here on the third floor, and you can get everybody on the third floor in the media, and you can get all the cooks and the chefs and the security, everybody buying in because they can feel the energy, they can see the energy, and they know it's authentic, right? And they feel like 
that if they put their best foot forward, then they can get an opportunity. And Pete always talks about the competition. And I think I think guys really buy into it, man. And it's not rah-rah. It's really just about creating a positive work environment, man. And it's not like that in a lot of places. My last year, I went uh, – to a team down in Florida. I guess I'll keep it vague, right? I was following one of the coaches to go down there to play, man, and the energy was not the same, man. And I know we're spoiled. We're over here on the water, and we're doing stuff. The facilities are beautiful, but you go certain places, and it's not the same. So the the Pete Carroll way and the Pete Carroll energy is good for young teams. It can be good for old teams because it's a positive work environment. And that's even uh, that's even in a down year, what you call a losing year, right? You you work through these things, but you do it with positivity, man. You mm-hmm. encourage people, and they usually react to that. All right, let's go back. Okay, let's go back because you didn't only play football growing up. Mm-hmm. You was an athlete. Mm-hmm. All right, what they call an athlete. Okay, <laughs> with a capital A, play some varsity. Football, obviously. Ran track. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you was running in the 100. You know what, man? I wasn't so much a 100 dude, okay. man. I ran the 100, but I was like, track was my sport that if I could say that I ever didn't prepare like I was supposed to was track, right? <laughs> I thought, I, well, not thought. I was just a natural at running and jumping and all that kind of stuff. I could uh, do that. And after you play basketball, football, man, that track season come around, you're kind of like, man, I'm ready to shut it down, man. Chill. There's girls out here, man. I want to <laughs> chill, man. The sun's out a little bit. Right. So I would just kind of chill at practice. But the 100 really wasn't my thing. I would do the relay and I would do jumps. I would yep, do triple yep, jump. I'd do yep. long jump and high jump. Okay, okay. And I was going to mention that you hoop too. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. What Super the, six man, I, baby. I, okay, six Super man. Super six man. Loud the and energy. Proud. Yes, sir. Okay, Jamal Crawford <laughs> yes. 1.0. Because yeah. you, you, you was doing the six man before. Yeah. Okay, all right, because I was going to say, I don't know what kind of you know points he was averaging. Don't look at the points, baby. Just look at the contribution. I was a uh, <laughs> uh, drive okay. and dish guy. Man, I uh-huh. played full court press. Of course, I was a defensive guy. I didn't score a lot yeah. of points, but I was yeah. a point guard. But I was a pass first uh, type of guy. Okay, got to love a facilitator. Yes. Good facilitator. Yes. Uh, you was named All-State by AP your mm-hmm. senior year. Mm-hmm. When did you know, like, what was the deciding factor for you that football was ultimately the direction you wanted to take your life and career? Well, since we going back, Turbo, my senior year didn't have a bunch of offers, bro. I played in the Pac-10 at the time. The Washington State offer was the only offer I had in the Pac-10. Our school up the road the University of Washington, they called me. It was like, true, sorry, we'll filled up at your position, right? So that's always stuck with me. That's why, like, I root for the Huskies, but I don't root for the Huskies, I feel right? You. So, yeah, but um, to take it back, man, I played offense. I was a two-way guy, right? So I thought I was going to be this little – Scat back. I was going to be able to do my thing. I think I was second in the state in rushing. Okay. Behind um, Paul Arnold. Shout out to Paul Arnold that played at UW. So, uh, yeah, man. 
and didn't get a lot of big time offers. Got some smaller time offers maybe to go down to the SWAC and play running back and do some stuff like that. But the Cougs called, man. I got the offer, so I was like, I'm going to take that. And I never really even thought about the league, like in high school or college, until like the very end, man. I was just out there playing football. I was enjoying the experience of college. And then in high school, I was enjoying the same thing because our teams were usually pretty good. Our basketball team went to state. Our football team went to state. So just being in the moment was what I was doing. I didn't really have my heads in the clouds. There was no social media there. So I wasn't like, okay, I'm seeing all this stuff go down on a regular basis. I got to make it to the league. I got to do all this stuff. Didn't come up in a rough upbringing. I had both parents. So I was a pretty happy kid, man. I didn't, um, of course, I loved sports and I loved football, but to be like, I got to go to the league or that's it. I really didn't have that mentality yet, man. I was just enjoying the moment. Mm. So you go through college, go yes. kooks. Mm-hmm. You have a great college career. Talk about that experience just for a little bit, man. Just coming in as a true freshman and uh, going through that process of, you know, getting acclimated, right, to, you know, just the whole atmosphere of being in college. Right. Yeah, the the Washington State experience is an experience in itself. If you've never been to Pullman, you really can't understand Pullman. If somebody just tells you about it, though, right, it is grown but there's still the wheat fields. There's still not much out there. There's, I think there's a couple grocery stores now, but back when I was there, <laughs> there was just like one grocery store. There wasn't even no barbershops there, bro. Oh, wow. So the scholarships, of course, they take care of your schooling and all that stuff, but you need like some little cash and um, I guess some little throwaway money. So I became the town barber. I was okay. cutting in the dorms. I was cutting my apartment. I was giving people fades. It's knocking on. Uh, there's uh, people knocking at my door all hours of the night to try to get these hair cords. Uh, and I think I was charging maybe 10 bucks or something at the time. Bread, I didn't know though. no better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the Pullman experience for me was perfect, man. I was far enough from my family that moms really couldn't be in all my business because it's a five-hour drive, right? Mm-hmm. But I was close enough to be able to come home for the holidays and do all that kind of stuff. My parents could come to the games and support, and they've always been a big supporter of me and all my brothers, of everything we've done. And, um, yeah, so going over to Washington State, man, and just learning how to be on my own, to become a man, to plan at a true freshman, I believe I burned my red shirt third game or so and didn't even really know what I was doing in the middle of the game, just the coach – Craig Bray asked me, true, do you want to go in? I was like, sure. I think we was getting beat. (laughs) And the teams in my early years at Washington State, they weren't very good. Maybe came off a three-win season before I got there. Didn't win very many games the next year. But my um, sophomore year, there were some young cats that came in, and we was all kind of – kind of in that same boat of being the underdog, didn't have very many scholarship offers, was kind of overlooked and stuff like that. And that's how a lot of people get to Washington State, or at least at the time, they were the overlooked players from Cali and stuff like that and the JUCO players that would come in. But we had this group of guys that were underdogs, that were overlooked, but they was ballers, man. And we put it together, and we started to put this thing together, man, and started to have a lot of success. But I grew up in Pullman, man. I became a man out there. And um, 
I got a lot of love for Pullman, and I learned that it doesn't matter what your story is or where you're from, right? Being from a smaller city, I guess a football city, at Tacoma, Washington, and you go to these different camps, you go to the Senior Bowl, and you do all that mm-hmm. stuff, and it's like, okay, it's you from where? And you played where? And you did what? And these people look at you a certain way. So I took that to heart, and I still carry that with me to this day. Okay, I know you don't think I got much going on or I may not have much to offer, but I'm going to use that against you, and I'm going to outdo you. And I've always carried that. That's awesome, man. Getting back to the Seahawks. Come in as a rookie, 11th overall pick. Congratulations. Appreciate it. (laughs) Fourth round over here. It's all good. (laughs) Nothing but love. You know, as rookies, man, we get that rookie treatment. You know, I had to sing the fight song in front of the team. I had mm. to carry all the pads. I had to pay for dinner at, where was we at? Daniels. Had to be Daniels. For people who wasn't even a part of the Seahawks, man. Mike Robb <laughs> had me pay dinner for two other tables. Wow. That was there at Daniels. Two other families. Not and even associated with you guys' group? Not even associated <laughs> with us. And that steak and lobster is $180. Yeah, starts to add up over there. You know what I'm saying? Then the, then, then the drink. How was your rookie year, man? Did you have to do any, the dinner, the, the, the carrying the pads? Like, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, man, I had my fair share of rookie hazing. But, as you know, I had the dinner too, but I kind of got – out of just doing it myself because me and Ken Hamlin was rookies together and we was both in the room. So we were splitting everything 50-50. So I was like, cool. But like I said, I'm a watcher, (laughs) Turbo. I pay attention. I observe. So I was a very quiet. I was unassuming. I wasn't like the loud rookie that's talking loud and doing all the flash and doing all that, I would just kind of do my thing. I would sit in the back. So people really wasn't coming for me like that, right? I mean, um, of course, I would do my thing in the media. I would do the interviews and stuff like that because they wanted to talk to me. But, but you know, I would do everything with a smile. Okay, if you want me to carry your pads, cool, all right. So it wasn't like they couldn't be like, yeah, that rookie is out there. Man, he's acting like he – He's acting like he's already arrived, right? Yeah. No, cool. Sir, hungry. sir, I'll right. gladly take your pads <laughs> to your locker room, right? I was that type of guy. I was playing the game, right? So yeah. just the guys that we had at the team, um, that we had on the team at that time, it wasn't that type of feel, man. We didn't. Man, oh, oh, oh and, and, and Coach Holmgren was like, I don't want y'all messing with the rookies. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't want y'all doing it wow. like that. Big dad moment right there. I want them to yeah. I want them to be able to focus. I want them to be able to play. I know you guys got them buying donuts, going to get chicken, and picking up the pads and doing all this kind of stuff. These guys got to play, right? I don't want them stressed out. So we was looking at each other like, cool. Be with a big so you show. You had to go get chicken or nothing? I did a little bit, but it wasn't like that though. They was throwing people in the pool. They throwing people's clothes in the pool in the <laughs> cold tub and doing all types of crazy stuff, man. <laughs> and they yeah, weren't messing with true. They wasn't messing with true. It came down from the big show. And that's what we used to call them. We used to call Coach Harmon the big show. The big show. Yeah. 
Is that he, from WWF? I think so, man. What <laughs> you know about WWF, Turbo? Come on, man. The Giant? Yeah. Everybody okay. know that's the All big right. show, man. Yeah, but he took care of us, man. It took care of the Rooks, and I think that went for a couple years, man. So it really wasn't like a thing thing. I know it was fun, and they probably did some stuff off um, – Campus, right? If you get the rooks out at dinner yeah. or whatever, but yeah, but at the facility, yeah, man, at the big yeah. show wasn't playing that. That's funny, man. Yeah. Y'all, you lucky, yeah, because I feel like I had to do everything. Yeah, everybody, I was man, I was spoiled. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we all have a, you know, some of a of a of a welcome to the NFL moment. It happens in different ways, you know, various ways, and, and I know for me it was. You know, Cam Chancellor knocking my helmet off in my do first it. training camp as a rookie. Got to do it. You know? <laughs> and so I said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This guy, whoever this is, can hit people <laughs> hard. <laughs> so uh, what was yours? Welcome to the NFL moment. Mine, I have a couple of them. Preseason. First rounder. Man, I want to do good in front of all the fans, all the local people that I know coming to sh- uh, to watch me, man. You see uh-huh. the 23 jerseys everywhere, man. I has arrived, man. I'm doing my thing. And I believe I don't even remember what team it was, but back in those days, cornerbacks had to tackle, right? <laughs> you, you had to come up. You had to hold the edge, and you had to do your thing. You had to take on linemen, and you could cut linemen. You could do all types of stuff. But uh-huh. as a young rookie, I'm kind of caught up in the game, and I'm looking around and kind of just taking it all in. And I find myself just kind of watching and kind of looking at the play, right? And the offensive lineman just cleans me up. And, like, the those that type of hit to where, like, the top of your shoulders and your head – hit the ground first and then your butt and then your feet i was lifted off the ground bruh and then i just kind of took that and i was like man okay to take this a step further i'm gonna have to see this on film tomorrow because i had got used to the coaches breaking everything down i was coming in watching extra film doing all the stuff that uh of course a young player is supposed to do so i was more scared about that right about seeing it on film like damn Man, I'm going to have to relive this over and over and over again. But, again, I don't know if it was the nice guy approach that I took. The coach really didn't even do it like that, right? He, he might have did it like once or twice. But usually coaches will get you, get you. And they right. rewind it like five, six times. But, yeah, man, I did that. And then another one was when playing against Peyton Manning. Ooh. Marvin Harrison duo in the preseason. Oh, I come out, man, and I said, I'm a technique guy, man. I was on it. I made a couple plays on a couple short passes, right, man. I got a couple PBUs. And then I see Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. They go over to the side. This is outside of the current huddle, and they have their own huddle. And they look over at me, right, and like, this rookie's out here making plays. Let's try to see what we can do, right? So the next – a couple plays, man, like two deep balls over my head, man, and that was my welcome to the <laughs> oh, league. Okay, man. I can't get too high. Um, I can't get too excited. I got to stay in my bag because these are grown men, and they've been doing this for a long time. So yeah. just got to stay focused and don't get too excited. I believe I celebrated a little bit, maybe too much on the fist pump. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I 
kind of brought that back, and that was just, yeah, I just realized that playing DB in this league, that you could be the hero one play and then the next play, and you could be the zero, I guess. Man, you know what? That's really interesting, though, too, because we talked about the, you know, the challenging receivers that you played against in Seattle as teammates. Yeah. But you play, you know, 11, 12 seasons, you know, and so I'm sure you saw a ton of great receivers, some of the best ever. Uh, I'm sure you've lined up against. So I'm curious, who was the most challenging receiver over the course of your career, not a Seahawk, that you played against and quarterback as well? Mm. Played against a lot of greats, man. I played against a lot of dudes that got them gold jackets now, yeah. right? Yeah. And I – can brag about that, right? Um, played against the guys over the greatest show on turf, right? Mm. And even though, like, it was – did we play on the nasty turf on the turf? Isaac that Bruce before? and Ter- yeah. Torrey Holt. Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce. Woo! You got Marshall, Marshall Falk. Falk man, yeah. it was a, a thing, man, and we played them twice, right? So those um, – pretty much hell week at practice because you run around practice, all the crazy routes and everything they would do. But playing against those dudes – it made me a better player. It made me respect the game. And they respected me. It, it, talking to those dudes on the field and after the games, they would come up and talk to me, be like, yeah, true, if you're really doing your thing, I like your technique and all this kind of stuff, and this is what you need to do here, and you can do this here. So it just being a young player, man, and looking at these dudes that's been doing this thing for a long time and doing it at a high level was pretty solid, man. And then playing against guys like uh, playing against Randy Moss, right, and you ever get mossed? You hear about it all week, and you don't want to get mossed, right? <laughs> so playing, you know, eight to ten yards off is the normal alignment for the corner, right? Maybe even seven. It depends on what type of defense you're playing. But we kind of fudge that thing to like 12, 13, and we don't want to give up the deep play. So I made a couple plays on Moss on the deep ball. So – I learned my lesson from the Peyton Manning and the Marvin Harrison. I just stayed in my bag. I'm going to just remain calm. So a couple plays later, I'm playing my 12 to 13 off, probably 15 at this time because I'm getting scared as the game goes. I don't want to get that cold pepper, just drop back, I mean, and wind up and throw that thing deep. But they come back and they run a quick slant with Randy Moss. It goes for about 60 yards, right, because I'm so far off. Fastest dude in the game. So – just playing against guys like that and hearing those phrases, Moss and not wanting to be on Sports Center, seeing it all week in practice. You don't want your coaches to be in your head and kind of just trying to navigate that. As a younger player, still at the time, that had to be year, you know, a three, four, five. I'm still doing my thing. And then playing against younger players that are coming to me and asking me questions. Mm. And guys like Larry Fitzgerald. That wow. Wow. He. In his first couple years, like, we, we would battle, right? Playing against Arizona, this dude was the nicest dude on the field. True. Sir. I think his first year was sir, but as we start playing against each other, we true. How your kids doing and all that kind of stuff. And this is pretty much as he's lining up, right? And I think it was kind of a tactic of, of – Here's to kind of soften you up a little bit, man, uh-huh. and get you in casual conversation, and then he catches a touchdown over your head. But uh-huh. that dude is one of the best receivers that I've ever played against. Um, his hands was amazing. Played against Calvin Johnson. Played against mm. Andre Johnson. 
played against all types wow. of great receivers, man. And just to be to be able to have that longevity in the league, man, and you don't always win them at corner, right? Of course, but of course. But you keep fighting, man, and that's what the game is about. But um, I felt like I did all right, man, to go against a lot of those dudes. And the offensive guys, they they – they get to shine in most cases, especially when you're a, a corner that doesn't have that prime time, that type of personality, right? Sure. sure. Um, but, yeah, man, I really enjoyed it. And playing against those dudes, I can tell my kids now. I can brag to my kids when these guys are going in the Hall of Fame and you uh-huh. see all these. It's on tape. Shrines and these statues. Uh-huh. A lot of it ain't on tape, though. What? Well, I'm saying as far as back in the day, there's – kind of hard to find some of that tape, right? Okay. So, What about the cues? Yeah, the quarterbacks, man, um, Tom Brady, of course, played against Tom Brady when he was in uh, the Patriots, um, played against Kurt Warner, played against uh, played against Bolger, of course. Uh, with, with you, Rams. You, yep, Rams. Yep, yep. Um, Any of them, like, stand out, like, most challenging, you think? Playing against those guys that have the big names, like the Brett Favre's and the Peyton Manning's and um, Brady's, um, it is a difference. The Drew Breeses of the world, like just how they command the team and how they have this thing down to a science, right? Uh Everything is on point. Everything is timing, and they just go. There's no – Wasted time. The only way to slow those guys down is to really to get pressure on them. If you're going to stand up and you're just going to play one-on-one out there with the receiver, you can't really do it, man. And playing against guys like Brett Favre, I got an interception off Brett Favre on Let's Monday go. night, man. So you, you have to be right, and you got to count on the big boys up front. But these quarterbacks are so confident on the verge – I guess on the verge of arrogant because they want and they think they can make every throw right. And in most situations they do, but you can get opportunities, especially on a guy like Brett Favre. Man, he's trying to thread that needle every single time, and you sneak in there every now and then and you can get you one. Do you have a favorite, like, interception? Like like, like somebody you picked off that was like, I picked him off. I like the Brett Favre one, man. I like Brett Favre as a guy, man, and did it for a long time, man, on several different teams and – it just had the name behind him, and to be able to do that um, on Monday night was pretty big for me, man. I was young, true at the time. and had uh-huh. my braids hanging out the back of my helmet. Hey. I thought I was doing something, so right. it was a good look, man, a good feeling. couple more questions before we get out of here. I want to touch on your Pro Bowl year because it's not often you get to talk to a Pro Bowler, and it's not often you get to hear the experience, especially during your time what the Pro Bowl was like. Right. So talk about that experience, becoming a Pro Bowler, what it meant to you, and then the actual experience of being at the Pro Bowl and playing in that game. The Pro Bowl, first of all, just to make it in general, was like kind of like a surreal thing for me, being just in the presence and being in that, to be mentioned, just with those guys that make it to the Pro Bowl, to be in that, to be involved in that, to be in that group. And that year, it was me, Lofa Tatupu, Julian Peterson, Matt Hasselback, I believe, and just the other guys around the league, uh, Terrell Owens, uh, TJ Husmanzada, the quarterback. You got uh, 
Manning, you got Ray Lewis, you got Ed Reed, and I'm sitting at the pool with these dudes, right? And if you play it cool, but for me, a kid from Tacoma, that was a big deal, man. That was a big deal just to see all these dudes and not be in it's so much a football setting, but just be chilling, right? Mm-hmm. Chilling and just being dudes. And the Pro Bowl then – Practices was practice, and some dudes didn't even show up because they go out the night before, et cetera, et cetera. But the game was a game, man, and people would hit out there, and you would play against guys. And just the experience, man, it was a real thing. I brought, I don't know how many people. I probably brought about 30 people, so I pretty much broke even. And you get a little check to come out there. But you bring your friends and family, and for me, I had to bring everybody with me. I had to bring the whole squad, man. I brought people from New Orleans up. I told you my family from New Orleans. But yeah. just to to go through all that and be talking to guys, I was actually getting recruited because, like I said, that was my um, contract year. So talking to Ray Lewis and the boys at the pool, they was like, yeah, true. I think we just missing one piece, and that could be a corner. So, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> all right, that, that it could work, man. I'll let you know, right? So – just all those little things, I really appreciated it. I know the Pro Bowl is a little bit different now. It's more just about being mentioned, but to actually go there, I mean, and be there, to be there with my family, to be there with uh, fans, and just to go through that whole experience was really big time for me. And I was still kind of more, more like an unknown. And if I remember correctly, not that. Um, so I would never talk about this man as being a hater, but Charles Woodson was on the Packers at that time, and Al Harris was balling too. So Mm -hmm. I I think there was maybe one or two comments that I saw that he thought that Al Harris should have been in the Pro Bowl instead Mm -hmm. of me. Um, But that was just him, I believe, just riding for his boy, right? Got a lot of love and respect for that man. He would. He was one of the best to do it, man. And, And, um, I definitely watched this game for a long time, but that's just how it was, man. It was a big deal to get into the Pro Bowl and be a part of that. And now I know it's some guys, not that they turn it down, but it's not as big of a deal to go and play. It's more just a resume thing, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Immediately after your career, you've been getting involved in a bunch of different things. You're on the radio now. I'm on the a, mic. You, you're signing about <laughs> yeah. a, a thousand autographs every Sunday. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> I'm actually before I get into that, I'm big on numbers. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why, like I wore six in college, and any particular reason for number twenty three? Twenty three. Of course, you got Jordan, man. Everybody wears twenty three because of Jordan. But to take <laughs> it back, man, my number in college was forty five. So okay. that's really nasty for a corner to be wearing number 45. <laughs> and people would Stupid. talk about me, but I wore it and I kept <laughs> it because they gave it to me and they assumed that I really probably wouldn't be that guy, uh-huh. right? So I was like, okay, another kind of mind game I play with myself. Okay, you, you don't think or you, you may not see me being this type of player. So I took that, man. I wanted to make that 45 into a baller number, right? So I wore it all the way through. But when I got to the league, I was like, man, I need something that's a little bit cuter than that, right? Yeah, the 45. Right. So there was a couple numbers, but 23, I was like, I can't lose with that, man. Yeah. And to be honest, um, 
we just played against Patrick Sertain uh, Jr. at Denver, but his dad wore number 23, and I used okay. to like his game. So I was like, okay, yeah, this 23 could work for me. Nice. So, yeah. Two younger brothers played in the league, man. Yep. How does that feel, man? What is you know? How does that make you feel? Amazing, amazing, man. And you know, moms and pops was always over the moon uh, to be able to talk about their boys, and they had the, they wore the half and half jerseys, and they wore the shirts with the three teams on them. And I still got a couple in my storage now, but just all the half and half stuff and supporting all the teams, um, Huskies, Cougars, and um, the Eastern Washington. So we did everything in Washington as far as college. Um, I went to Washington State, and, you know, Desmond was a Husky, and then Isaiah was a Eastern. So that's big. And then to make it to the league, I'm 10 years older than Dez, so, like, my last year or two is when Dez was coming into the league. So So we did preseason all together, and I think after that I was done. Dez and Isaiah, they played against each other in the pre, uh, a preseason. But to all make it to the league, man, and to be able to do it like that on a high level, it's pretty dope, man. Yeah. It was a blessing. Yeah. And it was big for my parents, man. I know they was really uh, proud. I know my pops was really proud. Uh, and so it was just something that we can say, man, and that we yeah. can stand on, man. It don't happen for a lot of families, man. No, to be able to really say special. we got three of them to do it, it was big. That's really special. Last question here, okay, because you had a long career here in Seattle. K.J. Wright, we saw, also had a long career in Seattle just recently. Signed a one-year, you know, one-day contract to uh, retire. You did the same thing. Mm-hmm. So just what about your time as a Seahawk just made that experience so special for you? Yeah, just full circle, and I think coming full circle with playing for the hometown team, doing it for as long as I did it, it doesn't happen like that. So just the experiences and the friendships and just growing up, right? And you go from college and then you come to the league and you transition and you have all these milestones you hit and you get married and you have kids and you get – um, and you go to the Pro Bowl and you get a different contract and your parents are able to do this type of stuff. You're able to get your parents a house and be able to do different type of thing and your brothers make it to the league. So just this story of your life really comes together. So be able to to come back to the hometown team and then sign that one-day contract, it's really a big deal just to put a lid on it and to put a stamp on it. And be like, okay, I'm still young, but it's time for the next step, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easier said than done. A lot of people have complications, I guess is what I would call it with transition. But doing it for this organization and how they embrace and how they pull you in and how they want you to succeed in the community that I grew up in and what I've sold into the community throughout my playing career to be able to get that back and still be able to uh, to be able to move around and do things in the community is huge man it's huge and you build a legacy so my playing time is done um I was able to put a lid on it with that one day contract and that's big to be able to retire as a Seahawk but 
And now it's on to the next, man. I still got a lot of life to live. I got a lot of good to do. I got a lot of kids. I got a wife. got a big family. So, man, I want to continue to be blessed. I want to continue to bless people. There it is. True. OG, OG, triple OG. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on to the show, man. Tune in next time. We got Jordan Babineau coming into the house for episode number two of Seahawk Stories. Peace out, y'all. It's Turbo.